Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Homecoming. And um, it pleases me to introduce this morning's speaker. I consider a friend. I hope he does me. We met each other a couple of years ago. Actually, he was doing the PA announcing at a, at a road race that I was in, uh, the race done in Kingsport. And, uh, and he, he did the PA and announced uh, all the events of the road race at that time. But then, since then, we meet every Monday morning on 870, mark that down, 870 AM. And uh, that's Tom's radio talk show. And since then, he's allowed me, and I've been fortunate enough to come back. And he says I have a face for radio. I wasn't sure what that meant, but he, he allows me to come back and, and uh, be his guest every Monday morning at, at 8 a.m. And uh, he has the most interesting things that to always cover, but he's just become a true friend of mine, and it doesn't take you long to talk with Tom, to know that he loves the Lord and he cares for the Lord and he lives the Lord. And uh, we just had some very good sessions on Monday morning uh, whenever I do have the chance to, to visit with him. But uh, I don't, I'll go ahead and, and read with you again. He, he graduated from Marshall University. We don't know a whole lot of people that went to Marshall University, but Marshall, unfortunately, is probably most noted for the, the terrible plane crash that the football team suffered uh, several years ago, but uh, Tom is a graduate of Marshall University, and, and it doesn't take you long to talk with him at all to realize he uh, his heart truly lies and lives in West Virginia, and also uh, as a graduate of Marshall University, he, I think he has a couple of, of tags in the back of his car that share, share his love for Marshall and how he still feels about Marshall. But uh, what he's here to share with you this morning is also something that he experienced himself uh, several years ago, back in 1984, and that was a plane crash as well with the ETSU basketball team, but he'll share that with you. Tom is also um, the PA announcer for the Bristol Motor Speedway, three-time Associate Press, AP, Tennessee Sportscaster of the Year, voice of the Sullivan South Rebels, and he does all their basketball and, and football, and um, he also uh, is the host for the Good Morning Tri-Cities Radio, AM 870. So without continuing on, it pleases me to, to uh, welcome Tom. And Tom, we're so glad to have you this morning. Come share with us. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Good morning. Thank you for the opportunity to come up here. And again, uh, uh, well, I'll tell you what. If you didn't get fired up with those people singing, I'm telling you, that was good stuff, wasn't it? Amen. I tell you, amazing grace. And that's why I'm here this morning. It's called Grace and Mercy. It's the only reason I'm here. And, you know, Trace talked about the nice things about the awards, and, and I'll share some more of that in my message here in a few minutes. But, you know, this is not about the radio this morning. This is not about Bristol Motor Speedway. This is about Jesus. This is about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, why I'm not supposed to be here. And so I'm going to give you a challenge this morning about how I went through a plane crash back in 1984 that changed my life. And so I want to open up in a word of prayer. I want to start with a couple of scriptures. You don't have to turn for the sake of time, but I do want to start. It says in Psalms 105, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell all of his wonderful acts. And that's why I'm here today and I get a chance, every chance I get to go around and tell people about the wonderful grace and mercy he allowed me to go through. Also in 2 Peter 
3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering to us usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's in 2 Peter 3, 9. So let me open up with a word of prayer. I'm going to pass this picture around and let you see what I walked away from back in 1984. Now, as Trey says, he and I do a morning, I do the morning show, and I'm in this room by myself like a broom closet. And then on the, when I do the ball games on Friday night, I'm looking down at the back of people's heads. So when I see eyeballs looking up here this morning, give me the willies. So I got to have to face like a lion up here in a cage, and that's okay because um, I just what I got to do just to get through this because I'm not used to seeing eyeballs looking at me. But let's open a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you again for this opportunity. I don't know why you spared me back in 1984. I certainly wasn't living for you. It was grace and mercy. And as I step aside each and every time, I don't want one ounce of credit for what I'm about to say. I am a vessel purely to get your word out. Let people know that you're still on the throne in 19, or the 1984 and in 2009. And people, as a lady said a few minutes ago, Samaritan's person, she nailed it. People need the Lord. They're not interested in seeing someone talk the talk. They want to see somebody walk the walk. So, Lord, I'm going to step aside and let you get the honor and credit and the glory because your name is above all names. You're the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the name of Jesus. Amen. I'll pass this around start this. I want to say, I was right over top of the wing where this is, so you can see for yourself. That's what's left about 15 seconds after this plane crash back in 1984. Let me start by saying that I thought I was the, I thought I was the king of Johnson City when I got this thing started back in 1984. I'd achieved one of my goals being the voice of a major university play-by-play. So I thought I was bad to the bone because when I went to the Firehouse Restaurant in Johnson City, when I went to Kroger's in Johnson City, people would say, oh, I recognize your voice. You're the voice of the Bucks." Now when I go out someplace, I'll say, I saw you in the Jumbotron of the Speedway. You're the voice of Bristol Motor Speedway. I am. But first, I'm a child of the king. And back in 1984, I'd gotten saved at the Billy Graham Crusade in Charleston, West Virginia, where I'm from. And so I'd gotten saved, and I got a box slid. I don't know if you've ever done that. But all of a sudden, I was the voice of the Bucks at, in East Tennessee State University, and I didn't need to go to church because I was the voice of the Bucks. I didn't need to pray. I didn't need to read my Bible because I was the voice of the Bucks, and I was bad to the bone back in 1984. I thought I was really cool because everywhere I went, people would say, oh, I know you, I recognize your voice, and they still do, but it's a different time now because he got a hold of me and rattled my cage back in 1984. I was involved in the uh, broadcast team. We had getting ready to fly from uh, Johnson City to... Birmingham, Alabama, to play University of Alabama, Birmingham. From there, we played them on a Saturday night, and we got up on Sunday morning and flew to, we're supposed to get going to Oxford, Mississippi, to play Ole Miss and then fly back after Monday night's game. Obviously, that didn't happen. So what I want to tell you about this morning is simply this. I'm here because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. That's the only reason I'm here. Because somewhere in West Virginia this morning, somebody should be going up and putting some flowers in my grave because I'm not supposed to be here. And I'm about to tell you why, what went wrong with this plane, and how we serve a great big God. Amen. 1984, I'm in the plane. We're getting ready to leave. We don't leave on time out of Tri-Cities Regional Airport. The plane's delayed for about 45 minutes for what we have been termed as mechanical trouble. So we're sitting out there. We're waiting. We're waiting, waiting. So I've never flown before. So I've got to tell you right up front, I'm Clark Griswold or Ziggy or Forrest Gump. You name the person. I've never flown before, so I don't know what to expect. So we get up in the plane. We fly from uh, Tri-Cities down to Birmingham. And so when we get out, it's a prop jet. Two engines here, two engines here, and an aisle just like here, right down the middle of the church, right down the middle of the plane. Had 30-some players on board, coaches, media. 
So the guys on this side of the plane tells me to get down to Birmingham. Looked like it taken a car wash one and sprayed oil down the side of the uh, side of the plane. In fact, I couldn't even see out the windows because of how much oil was leaking out of the engines. Nothing was said. We land the plane. We're going to play basketball that, that night. It's interesting that the coach then was Gene Bartow from University of Alabama, Birmingham. His son is now the coach at East Tennessee State, Murray Bartow. He and I have had discussions, and he said, yeah, I remember I was a young man when I was on my dad's coaching staff and helping him out. I remember this vividly. Well, they beat us pretty badly. We weren't a very good basketball team. So we get up the next morning, and we start out up in the air, leaving Birmingham, flying to Oxford, Mississippi. We're up in the air 15 minutes, and I want you to be with me where I was for the next 15 minutes, all right? We're up in the air 15,000 feet. There's no place to go. You've been in a plane. How many people have flown before? All right, you know where I'm coming from. There's no place to run, no place to go. We're up in the air 15,000 feet. I'm sitting there reading Sports Illustrated, reading about my favorite basketball player of all time, Larry Bird. I love the Birdman. So I'm reading, reading an article about him, and I look out my window, and I see the far pro propeller start sputtering. Bloop, 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 and just stops. White smoke, black smoke, and then flames shooting out of the top of this engine. We're up 15,000 feet. Nothing said. So as time goes on, the next two or three minutes, I look out the window across the way, and the same thing happens on the far engine over there. White smoke, black smoke, then flames. We're up 15,000 feet. The plane starts swaying. The waitresses, or the stewardess, I guess it would be, not the waitresses, the stewardess were going down the middle of the plane with a tray with apples and canned pop on their tray. The plane began to sway so bad that I couldn't be standing here talking to you. They were grabbing their seats doing whatever they could, and they finally just went back and strapped themselves in the seat and never said a word. Found out later this was their first flight out of uh, flight training school. Found out later the pilot was from Greece. He couldn't speak any English. We're on a death trap, folks. So we're up in the air. We're up 15,000 feet. We've got both engines on fire on the outside. We've got the plane swaying. We're talking a prop jet. We're talking about I couldn't stand up here and do this. That's how bad this plane was swaying. The cabin begins to fill up with smoke. I look out the far window, that far engine, all of a sudden the propeller just shoots off. They said they found the piston head of the engine about five or six miles away there in Jasper, Alabama, where we crashed. Now, there's a funny part of this story. It's Sunday morning when this happened, just like this morning. Imagine you've laid out of church and you go play golf. Imagine you're on the eighth or ninth hole and you get ready to tee off and you hear this Boom, this big piece of engine lands right beside you. That's where I would have dropped my clubs and ran to the nearest church house. I'm thinking, Lord's trying to tell me something. So the engine's on fire. We're up 15,000 feet. Engines are on fire. The plane's swaying. Cabin's full of smoke. I couldn't even see Jeff from where I was because of the smoke inside the cabin. What do you think people were doing inside that plane? They were cussing. GD this, GD that. They were taking the Lord's name in vain. Now, I had been going to church in Johnson City. I was the voice of the bucks. I didn't need to do too much church because I was big stuff in Johnson City. I didn't need Jesus. I didn't need the Lord. I'd gotten saved, but I had strayed away from him. I didn't need him. Go to the church and sing out of the hymn book. Guys don't do that. Go open up the Bible and read. I had more time to go do my stats for the ball games. I didn't have time for the Lord. What about you? Do you have time for the Lord? How much time do you put in for the Lord, for the King of Kings? 
Well, I was really cool, and I didn't have time for him. Boy, that came back to roost when I was on that plane, too, because now I'm dropping out of the sky. So for the next 15 minutes, you be where I'm at. We're in here. The windows are shut. The doors are locked, and this building's on fire, and you're not going anywhere because that's exactly where I was. No place to go, no place to hide, but I'll tell you what, it was a sobering experience, to say the least. They say when you get ready to die that your life flashes in front of you, and it did. Don't know why to this day, I don't know why, but I went back to me and my daddy capping strawberries on my front porch in West Virginia. Don't know why that came up in my brain in the middle of a plane crash. Also, I had a little bicycle, and I first got my first Red Schwinn bicycle, my banana boat bicycle. Trace and I have talked about this on the air before, about a, the banana boat. My brother was trying, older brother was trying to learn how to drive a car on a clutch, three speed on the column. Popped the clutch, hit my bike, smashed up against a tree to smithereens. I remember that middle of a plane crash. I don't know why. But that and capping strawberries and breaking beans. So the plane continues to drop. We got guys screaming, Ah! Ah! They're taking the Lord's name in vain. They're screaming. They're crying out because we're in trouble. We're on a death trap. We're in trouble. You're with me right now. There's no place to go, but you know this building's on fire. You're not going anywhere. All of a sudden, I've been playing church. I started making deals with God. You ever made deals with God? Don't raise your hand. Start making deals with God. God, if you get me down, I'll be better than Charles Stanley, Billy Graham, David Jeremiah. You get me down, I'll be the best Christian ever was. You get me down out of this, Lord. You ever done that? Get me out of this spot, Lord, and I'll do whatever you want me to do. Well, that's where I was. The plane continues to sway. Cabin's filling up with smoke. Engines are on fire. As I said, we saw the propellers just shoot off like a top. Not at any time did anybody say anything on this trip. Nothing. Found out later, as I said, the pilot was from Greece. He couldn't speak English. Nobody got over and said, please pull down your oxygen. I'm not even sure they had one. But I, nobody said anything to us. Of course, a bunch of guys in a plane were all macho. We're not going to say anything anyway. But nothing was said. Coach didn't say anything. We're just sitting there. You know, I hadn't read my Bible enough at that point in my life to even know. But a verse kept popping up my, in my brain in Hebrews. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Don't know why. I didn't read the Bible enough. I was the voice of the bucks. I was important because I was involved in earthly things. Earthly things were important to me at that point. They're not anymore. But they were then. So I was the voice of the bucks. Didn't have time for the Lord. So the plane continues to drop, starts dropping. You know, in the movies, it starts going this. Didn't do that at all, just a slow drop. We look out the window. Barely I could see the smoke. We could see a little runway over there. And all the guys on this side of the plane is like, okay, all right, yeah. Well, the plane veered away from it. We all start screaming, no, 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 no. Well, we found out later the, that airstrip was not big enough to accommodate our plane. The plane continues to drop, and we've got guys screaming and cussing. We can't see anything. And I'm making deals with the Lord. And I'm also trying to talk myself out of getting sick because I get sick easy. I can't ride merry-go-rounds and stuff like that. So I'm over trying to talk myself out of getting sick because that would not be cool, even in a burning plane, to get car sick or plane sick. So I'm over there trying to talk myself out of it. Don't get sick. Don't. That would not be macho. We got guys screaming and crying, so we brace ourselves. And I'm looking out the window. You know when you get ready to land on a plane, the ground comes up to you. So I'm looking out the plane, and I'm bracing myself. Plane hits. We found out we actually found a landing strip. Looks like an interstate. Strip of proper, or strip of land, a median, and another strip of asphalt, rather not strip of land. So it looks like an interstate. We land on one runway. The plane, envisioning here with me, this church, 
doing two 360s, the entire plane. Now, when we get done this morning, when you guys go home for the afternoon, when you walk out, I want you to look up. This is your, this is your survey. This is your test. Look out and envision a plane flying over top of this church, treetop level, with all four engines on fire. We found out later we flew over a church. These people, it was about 12, 31 o'clock. They are walking to the cars. They all dropped down in the parking lot and start praying for us. Because if we fly over their church with all four engines on fire, that's like, we're in trouble. We're in a death trap. That's what we found out later. They dropped down on, on the ground and started praying for us. I can remember going over top of the church and looking down and seeing the leaves in the gutter. That's how low we were. I could look down because we were treetop. Folks, we're on a death trap. We were destined to die, but it's called grace and mercy. So the plane lands. We do two 360s, and all of a sudden, here I am, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. This seat, whoosh, is on fire. Well, guess what? We go to the obvious. If you want to get out of some place, you go to the exit door, right? Exit door is bolted shut. We can't get out. Nobody paid any attention in the middle of all this. We all go to hit the door, and there's a bar across it, and there's two bolts and screws and nuts. We can't get out. Now, imagine that we get one window out out here, and everybody wants to go out in a nice, orderly matter, uh, fashion or manner. Trace, you go first, and I'll go. Jeff, you go next. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> it wasn't that way at all, trust me. It was chaos. I'll never forget David Vaughn out in Oxville. I can still see him. He was the guy in the picture. I saw him six foot eight. I saw him hurtling coming up through in the smoke, hurtling with this panic-stricken look on his face. Because we're in trouble, folks. We're getting ready to face eternity. I had 15 minutes to make a decision for the Lord because I was dropping out of that sky. We didn't have any guarantee when we crashed we were going to live or die. Marty Street, the coach at Elizabethan, he's been to coach at King in several places. He was on the plane as an assistant coach. Every time I see him, he coaches at Elizabeth now. Every time I see him, he'll look at his watch. He'll just tap his watch. It's kind of an unspoken because his watch stopped for the 15 minutes we were up in the air until it crash landed. And every time I see him, we don't even have to speak. It's like an unspoken fraternity. He just taps that watch, and I'll give him a thumbs up, and I just understand. But for those 15 minutes, I was playing games with the Lord because I realized that my eternity was right here in front of me. I'm not going to get another chance, I didn't think, because here I am getting ready to face on the other side, as we've talked about and sing about and read about. And now it's here. You hear about it and you talk about it, but now, boom, it's right in my face. And was I ready? Absolutely not. I've been playing games. I was the voice of the Bucks. I didn't need Jesus. I was a big man on campus in Johnson City in the Tri-Cities. Playing those two 360s, it breaks in half. It's on fire now. The landing gear stays up. Landing gear didn't go down, so we're probably as high as this roof. So we have to go out over this, the uh, pilot seat one by one. In a very fast manner, let me say that. So I get right to the old boy, and <laughs> every time I see him, I've seen him twice since the crash. Wes Stallings is the guard out of Culpeper, Virginia. He, get, he got right to the edge of the window and froze. He said, I can't do this. Well, that day I was sporting a size 14 pair of cowboy boots. <laughs> and I said, Wes, Hoss, you're going. I gave him a little love shove, and he still reminds me of that. He went flying out of there like this and hit his face on the ground, got up took off running. I dove out. My face hit the, uh, the gravel and cut it all up. I didn't care. So I got up, took off running. They started doing a head count. Everybody's there. Praise the Lord. Everybody's there. Nobody got killed. Planes burned up. What you saw this picture, everybody saw it was about 15 seconds after the plane crashed. That's what our photographer was backing up, taking a picture. And that's what you see. 
Knowing that we are in trouble, where we crashed landed was a place in Jasper, Alabama called Walker Community College. Well, they brought some vans out to the airport to round us all up. They put us in the vans and take us to a hotel there in Jasper, Alabama. Of course, in the vans, all these guys are being, you know, they're being macho and they're bad to the bone and, you know, nothing's going to bother me. It's no big deal. It's in a plane crash. I'm going to call my girlfriend and tell her ain't no, ain't no big deal. We get up to the hotel room and we flip on TV and there's Dan Rather, CBS News. Let's go live to outside of Birmingham, Alabama, East Tennessee State men's basketball team plane crash. And they show this aerial shot like any other plane crash. Stuff just obliterated everywhere, all over the place. And I actually pinched myself and said I was in that because it happened so fast. I don't know if I was in shock. I don't know. But it happened so fast. So when I got in the, in the uh, hotel room, I thought I was in that. We got up the next morning. The Federal Aviation Administration swooped down and started doing an investigation. Found out later that we should have gotten killed not one way, not two ways, but three ways. First off, you're flying from Johnson City to Birmingham to Oxford, Mississippi on full tanks of gas. If you know anything about planes, you're up in the air and the engines catch on fire. Where's the tanks at? Right below them. Should have went up in smoke. Number two, the landing gear stuck, didn't come down. The stick came down. The front, the back landing gear did not. We belly slid onto the asphalt on this runway. Eyewitnesses say we had 150 feet of sparks in behind this plane. Plane hits asphalt, right there's the tanks. What should happen? Up in smoke. Then we do two 360s. This whole building, as we said, <coughs> excuse me, those two 360s, all this airplane fuel spills out on the ground. And all these flames, what should have happened? Up in smoke. Folks, we serve a great big God. I do. I hope you do as well. So they round us all up. This is always the toughest part of the story for me. This will be the 25th anniversary this December. <laughs> toughest part of this for me right now, and I'm always getting, it's already starting. I always get goosebumps. They take us to this gym at Walker Community College, and we walk in, and as we walk into the gymnasium, they're laying body bags out on the floor. They had set this gymnasium up as a temporary morgue. Now, folks, i got to tell you, when you walk in, when you walk in and you walk into this gymnasium and you see a body bag laying there that I'm supposed to be in and I'm not because of him, I'm thinking, why, how can I not go out and tell people about Jesus? How can I not go tell anybody that wants to hear about his saving knowledge, his, his wonderful love? Because I'm supposed to be right there. And he said, no, not yet. So we go into this gymnasium. We've got all these body bags in the car. Of course, everybody's just like blown away. So they take us to the hotel, as I said, and uh, uh, we sit on television. A couple of the guys on the team lost everything they had in their possession. They were poor as church mice. Everything they had were on their bodies. And so a couple of the stores there in Jasper, still a blue law back then where things were closed on Sundays. They opened up some of the stores, let these guys go and just get whatever they want. The guy sitting beside me, he's now a preacher in Indiana, uh, Tim, he lost his glasses. I mean, when it crashed, he couldn't see, and I grabbed him by his belt loop. He was down on the ground trying to find the impact. He lost his glasses, and I grabbed him by his belt loop and drug him with me up through the plane, and let him, he went out after me. They went and opened up the eye doctor place, optometrist or whatever it is, and they gave him eyeglasses. I mean, story after story. I know McDonald's opened up down there in Jasper and fed us all for free because they saw what we'd been through. We're not supposed to be here. So we got up the next morning. East Tennessee State sent us buses down. We didn't fly back. They sent us buses back. 
And I went about to get on a plane, and I haven't since. I got on a plane one time. I got to tell you this story. It's great stuff. 1990, I was doing the Citadel play-by-play. We went to the College World Series in Omaha. We flew, we flew from Charleston, South Carolina, to Dallas, to Omaha. Well, let me tell you what. You're talking about a caged wild man on this plane. I'm up 30,000 feet, and every time something happened, I was doing this. Because every time any kind of a jolt, and the lady says, look out the window. On your left, you'll see the Mississippi River, and it's all its beauty. And it looks like a little sliver. It goes right up 30,000 feet. So I keep getting real jumpy. So this guy behind me, how many people have seen the show Cheers? All right, the guy that sets at the bar is a Norm, had the wife. All right, there's a guy that looks just like Norm behind me. So every time something happens, I'm getting really uh, jumpy. So he leans forward, and my boss was traveling with me to the College World Series. He said, what's wrong with this guy? I said, well, he was on a plane crash uh, a while back, and, and he, you know, he's a little jumpy, and the guy went, the whole, went, great, guy's on the plane with us, we're all going to die, he's been on a plane crash, we're all going to die, and I'm like this, trying to have my face, it's like, thanks a lot. So we get up the next day, and we start back, and so all these macho guys in this plane, in this bus, well, ain't nothing happened to me, ain't no big deal, and, and trying to be 10 foot tall and bulletproof, we stop in Cleveland, Tennessee, where these newspapers were in the box, Everybody gets a newspaper, and we get out and get back in the bus, and we start back up the road, and all of a sudden, I hear all these guys back there crying. I look back over my shoulder. I'm up to the front of the bus. I see all these guys sobbing, black guys, white guys, tall guys, short guys, bawling their eyes out, because now they know they came home to roost. We're not supposed to be here. So I asked the coach, I said, look, can I just say something? So I got up on the walkie-talkie thing. I said, look, I don't know if you go to church. I don't know your religious affiliation. doesn't matter. Obviously, we all know that we walked this away from something we shouldn't. So I said, can we just recite the Lord's Prayer together? I said, okay. So we did. I sat back down. We rolled into Johnson City at the Dome down at East Tennessee State. I kind of got an idea now what a prisoner of war would be like. Not totally, obviously, but kind of because when we came back, the parking lot was full of people, thousands of people, to welcome us back. And all I'll never forget this as long as I live. All I heard, nobody cheered, just... I'll never forget that long as I live. In fact, I spoke last summer at a church in Elizabeth about this. A lady came up to me afterwards, big tears in her eyes, came up to the front and said, I was there. I was there. I remember. I said, it was wild. What? She said, it's unbelievable. It really was. Because I didn't know what to, you didn't know what to do. We came down off that pl- bus. We didn't do anything. We'd walked away from a plane crash. They treated us like heroes. A couple of days later, East Tennessee State hires a psychiatrist to come talk to the players, talk to everybody and tell us what we'd gone through and kind of describe what all was involved. The first thing the guy says, the guy says, you're going to feel guilty because you walked away from a plane crash. I told my buddies, this guy's an idiot. Because <laughs> I said, I'm not sad at all I walked out of a plane crash. I certainly don't feel guilty. But you know what? I did then and I do now. Every time I hear about a plane crash on our radio station, I think, why them and not me? Why did the Lord take them home and not take me? I wasn't living for him. I was the voice of the bucks. I wasn't doing anything to merit being saved in life. I was doing just like you all would be doing, trying to raise your family, trying to pay the bills, trying to keep your head above water. Why did he take them and not take me? Because I was so unworthy, and I still am. And I don't know that answer. When I get to heaven, I'll ask him, Lord, why did you spare me? Only thing I can tell you is I tell everybody every place I speak. Maybe it's because I'm supposed to stay here, stick around to tell you folks today. I don't know. But why does he take those people? 
The plane that crashed here about three or four months ago, the one going from somewhere to France, and they lost, went over the ocean, blew up. They thought the terrorists had blown it up, and they still don't know. And the black box down at the bottom of the ocean had kids on board. And some of the bodies have come up out of the ocean even now. Why them? Not me. Because I'm unworthy, folks. I was the voice of the bucks. What was I doing to gain any kind of favor then? Nothing. Because I thought I was so big and so bad and so important. I didn't have time for the Lord in my life. But he reached out on that plane and spared me. And he didn't have to. And he shouldn't have because I wasn't living for him. So my challenge to you this morning is this in closing. I got a second chance. There's cemeteries all over this world that are full of people who didn't get a second chance. What are you doing for the Lord? The lady nailed it from the Samaritan's purse. I shouldn't even got up here and spoke today. She had a home run because she said, and she's right, people need the Lord, folks. It's 2009, and you know, outside these four walls, she's coming down pretty quick. Would you agree? She's wrapping up pretty fast. Thank God somebody introduced me to Jesus Christ because I know no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. And you are too if you have the Lord in your heart. But what are you doing for him? The lady on this thing was 77 years old. She's still out gathering boxes. What are you doing for the Lord? I don't know any of you except Trace. That's all I want to know in his wife. I don't know any of you. May not ever, I know Annette. I don't know any of you. I don't know what you do. I don't know what you're doing for the Lord. I don't know what the church is doing. It looks like to me a lot of things are going on for the Lord here, which is good. Got a mission trip going to Mississippi. But what are you doing for the Lord? So here's my challenge. Trace talked about these awards I got. Tennessee Associated Sportscaster of the Year. I'll tell you all about it for a second. I beat out, uh, what's the guy's name? Bob Kessling, down at the Vols. I beat out the guy for the Tennessee Titans. I beat out the guy that does the Memphis Tigers. We sent in a tape to Nashville, and they grade us, and they critique us, and they name me number one three times. Up at Bristol Motor Speedway, I stood up here this year beside Tony Stewart, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jeff Gordon, Bruton Smith. Stand beside all of them every time because I get a chance, and it's a privilege. I enjoy doing it. But it's temporary, folks. It's temporary. It ain't the real deal. The real deal is right there, the cross. So here's what I'm not going to sing to you, but here's a couple of verses out of songs. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till at last my trophies I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than to have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-scarred hand. One drop, folks, of blood will hit off that King of Kings and Lord of Lords, hit that dust at Calvary for all of us, and not one of us deserved it. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be a king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. In closing, I want to challenge you. Everybody has one. What are you doing with yours? Everybody that's ever lived, everybody's living now, anybody that's going to be born has one of these. I'll have one on my tombstone. It'll say, Tom Taylor... 1958 dash in the day I died. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on her tombstone 
from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of her birth and spoke of the following day with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was that dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that she spent alive on earth. And now only those who loved her know what that little line is worth. Listen to this. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live in love and how we spend our dash. So when your funeral is being read, with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? Folks, there's a world out there of lost and dying people. Please don't do what Tom Taylor was doing. Get busy for the Lord and turn your heart over to him and let him use you. Am I perfect now? No, just ask Trace. He knows. I'm not perfect. Don't pretend to be. Thank God the Lord said in the Bible, forgive 70 times 7. That's 490 times a day. He'll forgive me. My challenge to you this morning is, what are you thankful for? What do you have this morning right now that you come down an old-fashioned altar and just say, Lord, thank you? Husband, children, job, your health. I have a lady friend right now that's, that's uh, dying of cancer. She has cancer. She's taking chemo. One of the godliest women I've ever met in my life. You'd never know she was sick. Let me tell you about my friend Jake Logue. Jake Logue, 18 years old. He died playing football at Solomon South a couple of weeks ago. You probably heard the story about the young man. This cross says Jake number 54. I can't tell you how much impact this kid has died has changed people's lives around this region. The big fear over in Gate City over the prayer. I was there. It was during the South football game. Jake Logue personifies what we're supposed to do, folks. Walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Jake died playing football at Knox West back in August. Let me tell you real quick about Jake. Jake on his Facebook said, My two favorite people in life are my dad and Jesus Christ. Folks, he lived it. During the football game, kid from Knox West blows out his knee playing football. They stop the game. South's on defense. Jake's the defensive captain. Jake takes off his helmet and gets all his players out on the field to kneel down and pray for this guy who's hurt from Knox West. They get him off the field, get him on the stretcher. They get, the, get back up, start playing. Jake puts on his helmet. They play the next play. Jake takes five steps. One, two, three, four, five. The Lord took him home. Prayed for a boy one minute, and the next minute, Jesus brought it, took him home and said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. And you think I have. The voice of the Bucks. The voice of Bristol Motor Speedway. Let me tell you something, folks. When I get up there, he's not going to ask me how many times I shook Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s hand. He's not going to ask me how many ball games I did. He's going to say, Tom. He's going to say, Put your name in this blank. He's going to say, With the talents I gave you, what did you do for me? to further my kingdom. He's not going to ask him about Bristol Speedway or the Good Morning Tri-City Show. He's going to say, what would you do for me? Because I did it all for you on the cross. So as the lady comes to start playing, I ask that she comes and plays something softly on the piano, the organ, whichever. Is there somebody this morning you can come down and pray for? Is there a family member? I can give you a laundry list as long as my leg of people I need to be praying for. In my travels on the radio, I, I, maybe I just look like whatever. But they always come up and say, would you pray for this or would you pray for that? I could be up for all day with names of people I could be praying for. Is there someone that you want to come to the altar this morning and pray for? Don't do it for me. Don't do it for Trace. Don't do it for Jeff. 
Do it for him because he did it for you. Maybe you want to come down this morning and just say thank you. Maybe you want to come this morning and say, you know, I need to get it together. I'm like old Tom was, just playing games to the Lord, just going through the motions because I thought I was a big-time guy. I don't know what your need is, but there's an old-fashioned all here in a good old-fashioned Baptist church that's open this morning, and maybe you need to come down and, again, do business with the Lord. Not because of me. Don't do it because of me. Do it because he died for you. We'll close in prayer. I guess the deacon will come, and if you feel the need to come down and say a prayer for somebody, just come down and say thank you for what the Lord's done for you. You come do business. I don't know who you are. He does because he died for you, folks, and none of us in this room deserved it, not one of us. Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you again. I get a chance to come up and tell not what Tom does, but what you do for me, through me. Lord, I don't know these hearts. I just know there's folks in here that are hurting. they got loved ones hurting. This is a hurting area right now. But we have the answer. We read the back of the book and we win. Lord, I ask I get out of the way and folks come do business with you, not because I'm up here, but because you're up here 24-7. You're the King of kings and Lord of lords. As the piano softly plays, if folks want to do business, Lord, we'll ask them to come up and do business. We'll give you the praise and honor and the glory. In the name that's above all names, as the folks sang with amazing grace, the name of Jesus. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.
Yes, Jesus loves me. 